This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 413. This podcast is brought to you by Sidekick. Their muscle scraping tools keep your muscles healthy by improving blood flow, helping you treat your running injury faster so you can get back to doing what you love. Go to SidekickTool.com and use the promo code MTA to save 15% off your order. That's SidekickTool.com and use the promo code MTA to save 15%. And thanks to the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. We're so excited about being back there this year. You can run through Virginia's capital on November 11th. They offer a half, a full, and an 8K. Sign up at richmondmarathon.org. Beat the July 1st price increase. That's richmondmarathon.org. Thanks to Prevenix, makers of Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use the code MTA. Hey, hey, welcome to the MTA podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. In this episode, we talk about how to get the best out of yourself as a master's runner, as we speak with Tony Shalom, a listener to the podcast who ran 248 at Boston in the 50 to 54 age group. And of course, don't forget, as an Academy member, you get access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So here's a funny headline that I saw recently. Australian man runs marathon while pushing lawnmower. (laughs) This is from uh, Canadian Running Magazine. Uh, Quote, the idea to do something special came to Daniel Robinson while he was mowing his lawn. I wanted to run a marathon while doing something I haven't seen before, Robinson said to local news. It took me a while to think it up, but I love the idea of pushing myself and my lawnmower. Wow. (laughs) He finished the Newcastle Marathon in 4.04.37. Impressive. Pushing his lawnmower and raising money to help Australia's Youth Mental Health Foundation. So, boom, there's one I haven't seen yet before. <laughs> You'd think that our 12-year-old son was being made to do a marathon with a lawnmower when he's asked to mow the lawn <laughs> at our house. Yeah. yeah, he mowed the grass for the first time ever in his life, and that's kind of how it felt to him, <laughs> like a marathon. <laughs> Well, before we get into our interview today, Angie, what is going on out there in MTA land? We have some awesome shout outs we want to make to folks in our community. So what do you got for us? Yeah, we'd like to give a huge congratulations to Reagan on finishing her third marathon in seven weeks. She did the Coastal Delaware Marathon in 538, and she works with MTA coach Athena. And we heard from another coaching client who is also at the Delaware Marathon. He says, I would like to say a big thank you to MTA and Coach Antonio for guiding me in my training for my Wilmington Delaware Marathon in April. It was a great experience working with Coach Antonio. Under his training, I was able to achieve a half marathon PR with a time of 1.53, and I was also able to achieve my marathon PR of 4.31.44. The Delaware Marathon course was a challenging one, which we did expect and planned accordingly. In spite of the challenging course, I was able to push through. And like Coach Antonio said, I showed the course who is the boss. Trevor, good luck with your marathon in Belgium in May. Don't drink too much beer in Belgium. He said, Trevor, you are my inspiration to keep trying different beers. 
And then he says, Angie, you're my inspiration for all states marathon. Delaware was my sixth marathon in four states. So I have 46 more to go. And that comes from Nagesh. So you inspire all the good habits and I inspire all the bad. (laughs) Well, congrats, Nagesh, on your PR. Glad you enjoyed working with Coach Antonio. So yeah, that was the Delaware Marathon. Not to be confused with the Coastal Delaware Marathon. I just had to look it up, Angie, while you were talking. Two different marathons in Delaware, one week apart, I think. (laughs) We also hear from people overseas. Um, I'm actually going to be in the Netherlands next week. So it's exciting to have a listener from the Netherlands write us. That's right. This comes from Conrad. He says, hello, Angie and Trevor. As a longtime listener to your podcast, I wanted to share my achievement with you since I am inspired by the stories you bring. Ten years ago, I decided that it was time to work on my conditioning. It was the start of my running journey. During the first weeks, I thought running more than two minutes was nuts. But after a while, I, I got hooked on running long distances, ultimately setting my goal for running a marathon. And that's how I ended up with you guys. Last Christmas, I started a training plan for the marathon. During that time, I listened to the episode with Parker Watson about learning to slow down. That was something I experienced too. Slowing down isn't a bad thing. It makes you strong. Long story short, last Sunday, I finished my first marathon at age 53 in Rotterdam, Netherlands. Now I can finally say I am a marathoner, but it won't be the last one. I told my daughter that if I liked it, the next one could be the New York City Marathon. Her response was, you just make sure you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the great insight and support during all those training hours and greetings from the Netherlands. I've been told that the people in the Netherlands are really kind of matter of fact. And you kind of get that from his daughter's quote, right? (laughs) She just says, make sure you like it. (laughs) Maybe it was like, do it if you like it, but otherwise don't do it, you know? (laughs) Makes good sense. That's right. This final email is a little bit long, but it was really um, funny. You can tell John has a great sense of humor. Um, He lives in England. He says, hi, Angie and Trevor. I just really wanted you to hear of my first London marathon and second only marathon experience. I started running in lockdown after my 63rd birthday and three years later lined up at a rainy Greenwich to tackle the London marathon. I remember being in Greenwich. That's where the race starts. Yes. I stood there in a bin bag poncho. The stupidity of it wasn't lost on me. Prior hamstring issues, a hip injection, and two missed long runs left me feeling very apprehensive about the run. He says, not least because I had lower back issues and sat through a London show in the worst seats imaginable the day before the marathon and was unable to dress myself on the morning of the race. Shoes and socks were delegated to my wife who was worried I was going to bow out and ruin her shopping day. I figured a marathon would be less painful than a grumbling spouse, so I decided to take it on. (laughs) Smart man. I don't have the words to describe the experience. Emotional, unbelievable, torture, inspiring, readily spring to mind. And a week later, I can't get it out of my head. I was close to tears on a number of occasions. The crowds were fantastic along all 26 miles, but coming over Tower Bridge was something else. I started to blow up a bit after mile 18 and definitely after 20, and my run-walk approach was more walk than run. So despite my hopes of a better time than York last year, I got round in 5.55. It was absolutely immaterial to me. The experience was so much greater. Thank you to MTA Coach Lynn. I couldn't have gotten anywhere near this without you managing my injury program and keeping me in the game when it all seemed lost to me. Today, on the last day available, I applied to run again next year. The wife is filing for divorce. (laughs) I told her she can't. Who's going to put my shoes and socks on? (laughs) He says, regards, John. 
Hey, thank you for sending in that race report. John, congrats on finishing the London Marathon, even though you had terrible back pain on that day. Got out there and went the distance. Well, we are really excited to be at some races this year. We're going to be at the Richmond Marathon uh, November 10th and 11th. We'll be at the Expo and we'll be at the Half Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. And we'd love to invite you to come out. There is a price increase uh, July 1st, so... Put it on the calendar now. You'll save a little money at richmondmarathon.org. It's considered America's friendliest marathon. And having been there twice now, I think it might be true. (laughs) (laughs) I got to meet just tons of listeners to the podcast. It was was so much fun being there last year. Yeah, you've told me how really the spectators show up in a big way. And they provide phenomenal course support, usually great fall scenery and awesome finisher swag. There's a marathon, half marathon, and 8K. This will be their 46th year. Come check them out, richmondmarathon.org. Well, we're excited to talk to Tony Shalom today. He's a listener to the podcast. He's part of our online community. We have this Facebook group for people that do our virtual races, something that we started back in 2020 when all the in-person races were canceled. So we had a ton of people do like a virtual marathon and then post their times and we sent them a medal. Tony probably has the fastest virtual marathon <laughs> in that group, but he's just such a cheerleader for everyone. It doesn't matter what pace people are running at, you know, if they're beginners, if they're seasoned runners, Tony's in there to give them props. So everyone in the group knows who he is. And I thought, hey, we need to have this dude on the podcast, find out what makes him tick and uh, hear his story. Yes. In addition to being an avid runner, Tony Shalom is Executive Director of Finance and Supply Chain Technology in Corporate Services IT at Kaiser Permanente, one of the largest not-for-profit health plans in the U.S. He and his wife, Sona, have been married 20 years, and they have two teenagers. He has completed 13 marathons. His most recent marathon was Boston, which you're going to hear about today, and it was his first official sub-three-hour finish. Yeah, he's going to talk about how he trains as a master's runner, how he's dealt with injury. And speaking of the social distancing run group, we actually have a new mileage challenge. We just launched our 2,500-mile challenge, so we keep uh, growing this thing. And the new medal for the 2,500-mile challenge is inspired by the Dutch artist M.C. Escher. He does those never-ending staircases and optical illusions. So anyway, check out the medal over on our website. Here's our conversation with Tony Shalom. All right, we're on the podcast now with Tony Shalom joining us from California. Tony, it's an honor to have you on the MTA podcast. Oh, the honors are mine. I'm super excited for this. Great to meet you in virtual real life. I yeah, guess. we got to tell folks that Tony's sitting there with his Boston jacket and his MTA hat. So he's repping and a Boston shirt underneath. <laughs> I was just saying to Trevor, when else can I wear this until I go to Boston again, right? <laughs> you wear it to other races, you know, and like- yeah. Got to flex, yeah. Feel good exactly. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in, in New Zealand. So shout out to all the Kiwis that are listening to the podcast out there. Um, yeah. Born in the Wellington area, and born in a city called Lower Hutt, New Zealand, uh, 1970. So I'm I'm in the 50 to 54 age group. Yeah, go us old guys. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and came over to the states uh, over half a lifetime ago now in '95 um, for work. I was doing I do IT or I was doing then IT consulting um, for a large firm and had just done a project in India for a few months, which was wild. Um, wow. Came uh, over and it was an amazing experience. And then had two weeks of a stopover in San Francisco to see some friends that were over here uh, in. 
February of 95. And I had such a great time. It was, you know, the dot com heyday and wow. just a great city. And my friends actually said, hey, you work for this international consulting firm. Why don't you try and get a transfer? And so I contacted the local San Francisco office and they I didn't hear back before I went back home. And then I got a, an email and, you know, it was sort of a name rank serial number um, before pre 9-11. And they had a two year work permit in two weeks. So I was wow. back. Yeah, I think it was May when I came back. But yeah, May 95, I've been here since then. You know? And I was going to be here for, you know, two years and then five years. And then I met my my wife, Sona, who's um, American. And, you know, the rest is history. So. <laughs> 27 <laughs> years later, 28 years later. 28 years later, you still have the accent. Yeah, it's, you know, if you talk to Kiwis, it's all messed up now. They they have a trouble <laughs> figuring out if I'm American or what. <laughs> you guys are like, you can hear it straight out. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how did you get into long distance running? Did you get into it when you were younger? Or was it more of a recent thing? Like, tell us about your running journey. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was probably a late, it was like a late teens, um, college, university type stuff casually, and then more seriously a little later on. So um, you know, growing up in New Zealand, you sort of get forced to play some of the standard sports here, so rugby and cricket. And I'm not a big guy; I'm like five nine, and now you know, buck thirty five. So, so rugby, <laughs> I was getting crunched when I was like six, seven, or eight. So, um, I kind of started in the forward pack, which is, if you know, similar to American football, it's it's sort of stocky big guys. And then I got moved out to the to the back line, the running back kind of thing. And then <laughs> I was the wing, and then I was like the orange boy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty quickly, that wasn't a good sport. I did soccer for a little bit. Um, and then I got uh, in cricket, obviously, um, to like middle school and then played more individual sports. So tennis, um, actual table tennis as well, and then gravitated to, to kind of running. Actually, my first marathon, I was just reminiscing on this, was uh, 94, not early 95 before I came over here. And uh, a friend of mine, he was running this ultra, 50K ultra in a city called Hawke's Bay, and it was one of those at the pub the night before. He's like, you've run a half marathon. Just jump in and run this with me. <laughs> so I stupidly agreed. And uh, five hours later of this hilly 50K, um, we got through it. So that, that was actually my first, I guess, marathon was wow. a 50K. And uh, I never forget there was this spray painted line. There was no one around because it was only about 50 to 100 people doing this race. And it thinned out. And it just said, marathon <laughs> like that was the mark <laughs> and then you had another you know 8k to go anyway um, that was a really interesting experience um so half marathon to 50k pretty much <laughs> yeah you know it's one of those funny things when you when you listen to all the tips the great tips and tricks that you and uh, your coaches and guests put on the podcast I was just laughing because even my buddy and I we were we were kind of running down the hills and then we would drag up the hill and there was sort of a master's runner who had the heart rate monitor and he was like a metronome just mm -hmm. we'd pass him and then he'd pass us and mm -hmm. and you know clearly he was pacing and had good nutrition and he wasted us by the end of the race <laughs> yeah and as a young person you're like what is wrong with me this old guy is passing me <laughs> yeah we're in our 20s we're like come on so, yeah <laughs> so that was kind of new zealand again when i got over here the first five years over here so 95 to 2000 I was traveling a lot for work and I was probably running maybe two to three days a week, just, just casual running. And, uh, definitely I'd come back and I was, uh, partying like a champion in the weekend. We'll leave it at that in San Francisco. <laughs> um, there were some fun years. Uh, I was a big raver and Burning Man, if you've heard of the Burning oh, Man Festival. Yeah. So I went wow. to that a few times and definitely those activities are not really conducive with getting up in the morning to, to race or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> it was around 2000 when I kind of 
cleaned my act up and got got serious and and coincidentally when I met my my wife Sona um, who's uh-huh. downstairs <laughs> and uh, it did ran the San Francisco marathon a couple of times and so I was twenty nine thirty I did a three twenty six and I did a three oh six I think the next year or three twenty four wow. and a three oh six so kind of showed me that I could at least you know again I'm no Kipchoge or Chibit but <laughs> neither none of us are <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so you're thirty years old and you did a three oh six. At San Francisco, yeah. Okay, and that was like 20 years ago. Yep. And you just ran a 248 at Boston. So you're older yet faster. Isn't that amazing how Mm -hmm. that's possible in our sport? Absolutely. And uh, I think these days with training plans, with, you know, coaching services like you guys provide, um, obviously better nutrition uh, and Hey, the super shoes, let's face it. They give you a few. (laughs) I definitely notice the edge. It's a few minutes. Is it, is it five minutes, 10 minutes? minutes? I don't know, but they definitely give you an edge, right? You're yeah. uh, If you're trying to get time off, but yeah, I definitely notice with doing a more structured plan. So the base runs of the intervals or hill work, the tempo run on a Thursday and the long run, that's kind of the base program. And then I used to be able to run sort of every day. Now I, I have to do a lot of more cross training. So I don't really do too many easy runs so much. It's more, I'll do the Peloton or a bike or weight training. Um, and in terms of mileage, I, I guess I'm a little bit of an anomaly for, for running the, the marathons. I probably during base training only do like 25 miles a week, maybe 30. And then during the peak phase, I'm only doing 40, 45, you know, maybe 50 during the week. Cause I only run three to four days a week. Um, again, just <laughs> the old legs couldn't take right. the pounding of it's more of the quality over quantity, especially, yeah. you know, as you get to be a master's runner and you realize like, I have to really be intentional about this or my body's going to start giving me problems. Exactly. And actually I, so that sort of 2012, I guess, to 18, 19, I actually didn't run because I had a lot of injuries. I did CIM a couple of times and I just missed three hours at CIM in 20, 2009. That was my last marathon before Boston officially actually, or wow. well, one, sorry, except for the San Francisco one last year. But I, again, just a bunch of injuries. So I know mm. you've had a hamstring, I had a ha- left hammy and then yeah. knees, ankles, you know. What was that like for you? I mean, to go from, obviously you've been a very active person your whole life and had some success in running and marathons and then to go through such a long period of injuries. I mean, was there a point where you thought like maybe running long distance isn't for me? I'm going to have to like just find a new activity. Like what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, you definitely go through the cycle of grief on that because running's my sort of true love. And we kind of mixed it up. So um, back then, both my my wife and I, we would do um, some triathlons. So, you know, there's not so much running like the the international distance or Olympic distance where it's Mm -hmm. maybe a half, um, 10 miles to a half. And we did some of the uh, adventure mud rice, like Tough Mudder. So a few yeah. of those mm-hmm. Tough Mudders. So they were a lot of fun. And I would keep, you know, a light base running. But to your point, I didn't think that my legs could hold the marathon again. And then just decided to start doing some halves and then building up in 2018, 2019 again. And it's, it's, it's working okay, although I've been on that injury roller coaster. So you're building back up, you're feeling like positive, like, wow, you know, I'm getting up to the half marathon distance again. And then the pandemic hits. Yeah, so that was um, that was interesting because I had one of the CIMs I think got canceled right around then, and I was sort of planning to do that. So instead, I did a, a virtual one. Actually, that was the um, got the medals up. That was the green social distancing run. I, I used that for my virtual solo, and I was wearing the the vapor flies at that point. So I managed to 
245 for that one. Wow. Um, yeah, so that, w- that was good. But, of course, it's not as sweet as doing an official, mm-hmm. yeah, official race. But that was my SDR medal, the first. Yeah, the OG medal. <laughs> yeah, the OG. And, by the way, you guys make the best medals. I mean, I've got those oh, thank you. proudly it's all, displayed. It's all Trevor. <laughs> oh, he's the artistic one, huh? That's I'm down cool. here in the basement forging it with a hammer and an anvil. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how you heard of us and found us through the SDR, like probably a Facebook ad back then? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So once I kind of plugged into that for, I think for a, for a couple of months, I was sort of like the lurker back then. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And now you probably wish I'd shut up. Right. But uh, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it really helped get me through the pandemic. And also I think it helped my family because this group helped the non-running spouses not have to hear about running so much, <laughs> right? which they appreciate. Yeah. You have that outlet. So yeah, you can preserve other non-running relationships. <laughs> yeah, of course, we did have to explain, how come you're spending so much time on this group? I'm like, they're my people. They're my people. <laughs> I always admire just how encouraging you are. People are in there every day posting. And a lot of times you reply and give them props and really well-worded and well-thought-out replies. So thank you. Yeah. Where do you get your energy from, Tony? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I'm, I've always been kind of a super energetic, glass half full type person yeah. so yeah so you get inspiration from people in the group oh yeah i mean exactly and i it was funny i was as i was sort of prepping for this thinking about this i didn't want to start mentioning names because i i'll leave someone out and they'll get offended but what i love about your group is that you go from i'll mention a couple you go from like yashika who's like i think now 86 year old grandma yes. in switzerland doing power walking and she power walks faster than i can walk i'm, I'm mm-hmm. not a fast walker down through through all of the grandmas, grandpas, the the middle aged folk, the yep. folks just getting into it. So it's an amazing group, and it's the most positive group out there. I think both your MTA training group as well as SDR. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone ever post a negative comment. I mean, we have plenty of joking around, but no negative, <laughs> <laughs> maybe slightly inappropriate, but no negative comments. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's just, it's a real positive group. And I have found that to be the case when just runners congregate, whether it's in person or online, like runners are typically high achieving people and super cool to hang out with. In fact, you've got to meet up with some SDR people in real life. Yeah, that is yeah, really cool. That's been so much fun. Uh, in fact, the first meetup was in San Francisco Golden Gate Half Marathon. And Alex Fano was there, Liz Norris Green was there, Jojo was there, Tiffany was there, and I think her friend Wendy. I think that's it. Hopefully I didn't miss anyone, but it was <laughs> such a great um, catch up. And then before that, actually, sorry, that was the second time. The first time was the San Diego Half Marathon, where I got to meet uh, Trisha Chisholm, who I call mm-hmm. T Chisel, <laughs> and La Brujita, so Fernanda, mm-hmm. um, just great people. Um, I think Liz coined the term as advertised. Everyone is as advertised. So oh, that's cool. The spirit and fun that we have on the site, everyone is like that in in real life. And then, um, you know, Boston, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Micah, who's actually Yoshiko's daughter. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, she's, I think she's got one race left now to get her six stars. Um, oh, so fabulous. congrats to Micah. And then Jessica Fragioni. And, and she was so nice because she actually bought me uh, my name to stick on my singlet, which I hadn't thought of, right? Yes. And the thousands and thousands of crowds cheering your name and saying go and you can do it. It sounds hokey, right? But it totally gives you energy. Totally gives you energy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So thank you, That's Jessica. Cool. 
I also got to meet Asa Pataranga and her husband uh, at the San Francisco Marathon when I did the Ultra last year, and that was great to hang out. And it was her first marathon, and I know she listens to the MTA podcast when she was uh, training for that too. So thanks for getting her through that, Trevor and Angie. You bet. Then a, a fantastic, fortuitous, spur-of-the-moment lunch meetup with Dora Sillier and Zoltan uh, Fejas, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, last summer. And that was in Paris when I was over there with the family. And she saw me posting, and she's in Europe close by, and said, hey, we're going to be there too. So just a fantastic meetup with that amazing couple. And then um, with the hat, uh, the uh, STR cap that I'm wearing today, uh, MTA cap, the um, random meetups with folks that that say, hey, I recognize that cap in that group. Uh, <laughs> that is cool. You know, I, I won't remember all the names, but I know I bumped into uh, when I was volunteering at the CIM Marathon last December when I was out injured, um, Scott Kreider and Tanya Shvareva, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Sorry, Tanya, if I'm butchering that, and her husband um, who were out there running the race. And, you know, I can't wait to meet up with all the other folks. The regulars, you know who you are. I'm not going to mention names, but the regulars that are out there, uh, yourself, Trevor and Angie, as we've said before, just so inspiring, right? Everyone's on their own personal journey and just knocking it out of the park with their improvements. And it really gets me jazzed and motivated to, to see everyone's journey, whether they're going from a, their first 5K or doing a 10-minute mile instead of a 12-minute mile or whatever. Um, it's just amazing to see the journeys. We're going to make you in charge of the public relations department here, <laughs> MTA. <laughs> I love it. Happy to, yeah. So do you think that running kind of has had a spillover effect in your professional life? Absolutely. I think it's been said on your podcast many times, right? It it keeps you sane. It's it's my chemical balancer. I, I used to hate working out in the mornings, but just with job and life and stuff like that, I, I generally have to work out in the mornings now. I And then no matter what happens in the day, if I'm sitting on, you know, eight hours of Teams, Zoom, video calls or tough, tough meetings, you've done that thing for yourself, right? And mm-hmm. again, other people can do it at the end of the day whenever they can get their, their time in. But I guess endorphins or now, what is it? Endocannabinoids, whatever the new mm-hmm. tit science yeah. is. Um, happy I get drugs. my cannabinoids a couple different ways. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> exactly. I'm in California, so it's all legal, right? Um, so that that's the case. And then I think the other piece, Angie, is just the do hard things, right? And I know that's one of your big mottos, right? That personal sense of accomplishment you get, whatever race or whatever your personal milestone is for a PR or, or podium, whatever, that you've done this thing, right? And hey, this is nothing. I, you know, I'll get through that. In fact, I read somewhere there was a, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but there was a quote and someone said, remember, you've made it through 100% of your worst days or hardest days. <laughs> I like that. That's true. They haven't killed us yet. Those days. <laughs> yeah. It will come to pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the other thing I want to just, well, before I forget is just to give you guys a shout out for is very, you exemplify that fun, passionate spirit as well. During Boston, you actually both popped into my head actually in the Newtons because I just listened the night before Boston to the post on the lazy running and there was <laughs> hearing Trevor's uh, personal training style, I think it was. And you're, again, the, the laughter and the banter that you guys have just made me smile. Again, on the Newtons, so random thoughts came in. So yes. that's cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm glad it didn't slow you down thinking about me out there. <laughs> You're clearly not on the lazy runners training plan <laughs> because, you know, you've, you've alluded to the fact that you're injury prone and that's something you really yeah. have to monitor and you have to cross train and things like that. Like what was your training like going into Boston? 
Yeah, so I would I would hope to say that I've learned from the last couple of years where I had to miss sim because of California International Marathon because of injury. Um, mm-hmm. And it was at the end of the day, it's just this 50 plus body saying, hey, I'll give you one day of training, then you're going to be messed up if you try and do another within two or three. So I really tried to listen to my body. I typically try to have two days between the hard efforts, which unfortunately doesn't fit into a seven day schedule, right? You really need to do the 10 day. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm at the point where I really actually want to try that going forward. The problem I've got is the long run during midweek work with with Mm -hmm. a job, but I think that's going to be my go-to going forward because as I age, you know, even things like heart rate variability and stuff tell you that you need that extra day. I want to highlight that for anyone who didn't catch it. Tony Mm -hmm. said he might switch from a seven-day training week to a 10-day. That's actually a good strategy we've heard other people recommend, right? Is that that what you said, switch to a 10-day? Yeah, yeah. So the example would be if you still have your three main kind of effort days, so like um, intervals or hill repeats, and then you'd have easy day or cross train, easy day or cross train, and then tempo. So if you did, let's say it's Tuesday for the intervals and, and hill repeats, normally you'd, you might do the next one on a Thursday. Well, this you do it on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And so then you'd have, instead of doing your long run on a Sunday, you'd wait Saturday, Sunday, and you do it on a Monday. So it's basically making sure you have two easier cross training or your rest day between your hard efforts being the intervals, the tempo, the long run. Yeah, I think it's really key because most of the training plans are set up for a week cycle. And you tend to think like that's what you have to do to be successful as a marathoner. And it's not true. I I know some master's runners that I've worked with, we do, it's almost like a two-week training cycle where you do a long run every other week. So you don't have a long run every weekend. It may be like 16 miles one weekend and then eight the next weekend. And then you bump it up more incrementally um, because it's just easier on the body. And it, you know you can only advance as far as you can recover. So knowing yourself and really being careful and kind of divorcing yourself from that one week cycle may be something that's really important. Exactly. And again, I think I heard that on your podcast with some of the guests talking about it. And and so I, I again, I, I still went in with a seven day cycle for Boston, but I did modify it. So in other words, if I started feeling like the old injuries flare up, like I had piriformis, um, hip bursitis, if that on the left side, if that flared up, I would take it easy or I've had calf issues the last two years. So as soon as that calf would go beyond like a dull ache, I would stop. And, and you know, us runners are A-types, right? So if you were supposed to do like a tempo with six at marathon pace and you only got to three, uh, but I, I know from history, if I try and push it, I'm out for weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it was a little bit of modifying that. But again, it was that same basic kind of build up and build down of with those three key runs during the week, the intervals or hill repeats. And for Boston, the hill repeats, they are the game changer um, because, and I live on a hill, so I'm, I'm half, half a mile up and half a mile to the top. So I'm right in the middle. So I have to do hills regardless. Right? But um, <laughs> if people training for Boston can add the hills in at the end of your long runs, whatever they are, and do a simulation, that is a, a game changer. Um, because you're tired, but you're doing exactly the hills, or in fact, in a lot of cases, you know, steeper and longer slightly than the actual Newton Hills. And I would advise anyone doing Boston, that would be my one one tip for Boston is add hill simulations at the end of your long runs each week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really key. That's a course that it's really important to train specifically for. It's not something like CIM where, you know, it's mostly flat and yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be as intentional about it. So if you're going for PR, it's really important to train specifically for the course. Yeah. Well, we're talking about uh, training and, and 
how I'm able to keep running as a master's runner. In a lot of ways, running better now than I was before. Uh, really, the only way I can do that is with a lot of the pre-work. So dynamic uh, warm-ups are, are key. So I do maybe 10, 15 minutes of a dynamic warm-up set. And then following the run, I, I usually spend almost more time uh, on the recovery and rehab and strengthening these days um, just to be able to keep running and keep running um, reasonably fast. So uh, most nights and just in front of the TV while I'm binge watching shows, I'll do uh, a sets of strength training, uh, stretching, foam rolling, and the massage gunning, uh, which again, just all helps keep the wheels on the bus at this age. And the other important thing, you know, obviously the basic motherhood and apple pie stuff around watching sort of your diet, making sure you're eating a balanced diet, um, with a lot of whole foods, and then the sleep one. And that's something I'm really trying to work on is, you know, aiming for eight hours, get, getting between seven to nine hours if I can, wherever. And, and that, you know, that really helps. Do you have any bad habits, Tony? Oh, yeah. Not going to share those here, Trevor. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely decided this time I did the training block dry, um, which was hard for the first few weeks and on Friday nights. But um, I think that that also helped just as I get older for performance. And then otherwise you do enjoy a good glass of wine. Oh, yeah. Good glass of wine or a beer. And uh, it was uh, nice to grab a couple of beers with a, with a friend of mine, uh, Dan Rick, who, by the way, just ran his 20th Boston Marathon. He's a local. And so it was really nice to meet up for a couple of beers and a burger and uh, fries straight after that race. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Quick break to thank our sponsor, Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. It is our number one recommended joint supplement. They have over 150 reviews on their website. Actually, one of our listeners named Deb left this review. She said, I noticed pain relief right away in my wrist. Pleasantly surprised. So great to hear that. You know, as we get older, our joints do start to complain. And that's why we're happy to have Prevenex as a sponsor. And the active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce your joint pain and stiffness and improve your flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. That's right. Boswellin is one of the ingredients. It's a powerful, natural, and clinically proven anti-inflammatory and pain reliever that provides additional support for your joints. A lot of endurance athletes often turn to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs for various aches and pains. And that can actually be fairly damaging to your stomach and, you know, can have some side effects. So if you can find a supplement that is more natural and is still clinically proven to bring you results, I think it's a really great thing. There's been many testimonials from runners on how the product has greatly helped their training, their performance, and recovery. And if you don't experience any benefits within the first 30 days, Prevenix has a no questions asked 100% money back guarantee while you get a full refund. Yep. So go over to Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off your first order of Joint Health Plus. Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA. Thanks also to our sponsor, Sidekick. They make muscle scraping tools that you can use right there at home. We've actually been fans of Sidekick long before they became a sponsor of the podcast. So we're really excited to partner with them. Angie, I know as an injury prone runner yourself, you've had to like stay on top of your injury prevention. And that includes having like an arsenal of tools that you use when you feel a problem area, you know, spring up. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, it's easy as a long distance runner to ignore red flags and keep training through pain until it develops into a chronic injury. And I have been guilty of that in the past. So Sidekick develops these recovery tools for runners so that you can heal from your injury quicker and get back to doing what you love. I was first introduced to the Sidekick tool when I was going to physical therapy and I was getting some Graston done on my hamstring. I realized like, wow, basically I can get one of these tools at home and do my own therapy and not pay a hundred bucks an hour. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I mean, so the the physical therapy was great and very helpful for for long-term maintenance. And, you know, if I notice that my hamstring flares up, I can get on it right away with their, one of their muscle scrapers. And I haven't had to go back to physical therapy, which is amazing for me. Yeah. Not knocking physical therapy is definitely important. No, it's very important, but this is really a safe, effective injury prevention and injury relief tool. And with the sidekick tool, you can get the benefits of a massage, but at home and within a matter of minutes. Yeah. So check it out. Sidekicktool.com. Sidekicktool.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. Now, did you have like a time goal in mind as you were training or were you kind of just going to see what your body felt like doing? Like what was the strategy for the race day? Yeah. So my, my A, B and C goal and my A goal was a sub 250. My A plus goal was like a PR, Yes, but I knew I was starting middle of the pack just given my BQ time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I would have a lot of traffic. So I made my A goal sub 250. My B goal was a sub three. And my seagull was finish. <laughs> I just yes, not don't get injured and finish, right? So well, also your bus got lost on the way to the starting line, and that messes with your head. Honestly, yeah. it adds so much stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just sharing that whole Boston experience for anyone that hasn't done it is amazing. So going on the plane to Boston, you start to see the jackets, right? And I was yeah. connecting mm-hmm. in Colorado, and as soon as you got on the plane to Boston. There's multiple running jackets on, right, from prior years. And then the expo is just such such a buzz. Um, yes. Such a buzz. Uh, there's events and races, and in, in I saw some panels with uh, some of your previous guests. You know, Kara Goucher was on and uh, Lauren Fleshman and just, you know, running elite um, doing panels. And then, as I mentioned, getting to meet Michael and Jessica in, in real life was fantastic. And then the bus going there, uh, in fact, the morning off, this is another rookie mistake I actually made this time. The hotel, which was great, but it, it said it was doing this runner's breakfast, right? And it would have all the stuff you need, bagels, bananas, coffee, fruit. And I was wave two. So I get down there, the bus was at 7.30. I got down there at like 7.10. It was a grab and go, right? And mm-hmm. no bagels. They had oh, yogurt no. and granola bars. <laughs> and they did have bananas. So I got a banana and a coffee. So I said, you know, hey, you said you'd have bagels. Well, the first wave cleaned us out, right? So <laughs> oh, the wave, the, no. the, the red bibs. And so I sort of desperately went up to the restaurant and they said, sorry, we only serve full breakfast. And I was like, please. And then I hear this guy who's called Milton. He turned around. He goes, hey, you want one of these bagels? <laughs> so <laughs> he was just a runner who had a bag of bagels. And he I call him my bagel pusher, right? Like <laughs> I, I was sort of so desperate. I was like, yes, please. Oh, my God. So I got a bagel from this guy, Milton. And- did, he, did he open his trench coat like this and reach in to the <laughs> no, bag? No, no. He was in running gear. So it was funny. Okay. But uh, it was just kind of funny. And so... So then I went, I sort of raced down to get the bus thinking I'd missed the bus. And then of course, now I know you, you wait 30, 40 minutes for the bus and there's yes. thousands of people. And so then you get on the bus and there's such energy on the bus. At one point I said to, to Nuno, my seatmate, hey, just stop and listen. And all you could hear is people 
getting their nervous energy out, right, chattering. It's like a buzz. It's like, duh. Yeah, 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 which you've seen. And then about an hour, hour and a half later, it suddenly quietened down when our bus realized we were lost. The bus driver was oh, lost. Yeah. And people were looking. We only had like, I think then 40 minutes before the start of the wave, wave two. Wow. And so some locals sort of directed this guy and we did a few more wrong turns. And so we ended up coming in some back way to Hopkinton. So it was a little rushed. However, we so we didn't even go to the athletes village. We mm. went to that parking lot with all the porta potties right before the yes. corrals, which actually probably wasn't at the end of the day, it wasn't a bad thing because it was raining pretty heavily before mm. the start. So you got to stay on the bus longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had just enough time to warm up, get rid of your gear, hit the porta potties. So at the end of the day, not too much time to worry and stress. And and then you're in the corral and peel off your poncho and go. Um, right. So that that was kind of interesting. And then the first, so the first few miles, as you know, Angie, right? You you're pretty much sardines for those first few miles, and you're <laughs> running whatever the pace of the the group is. Um, I think a lot of people have said that that actually may have been a savior because later on in the race, you're fresher than if you're busting out, you know, 550s, 545s on the downhill and then hit mm-hmm. hit the hill. So the whole race goes, I don't know, but it goes so fast. And I don't mean my time. I just mean the race, there's so many things going on. There's like, you don't have downtime in between, you know, some, some races you like have your aid stations, have people cheering, and then you kind of go through a lull and there's, there's just not much lull in Boston. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, so you know, the, those first few miles, you sort of with the crowd and everyone's excited. Then I was able to sort of start turning my pace, but it wasn't until about 10K when you could actually almost straight line it. It thinned out a little bit. Next thing, you're at the half marathon mark. And now as well as Lee before or after, I, I can't remember that. It, I believe, is like right before the half right marathon before, mark. Right. I think it's yeah. like, yeah, 12 and a half. Don't quote me on that, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, right before. And so you, this, the scream tunnel. Now, again, naive, naive guy coming into Boston. I was like, where's the tunnel? I didn't realize yeah. it was a metaphorical tunnel. <laughs> you thought it was a real tunnel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that would fir- be cool. That's the first I've heard that. I, I thought it was like an under overpass or underpass or something mm-hmm. like that. And so the, the second thing was, as I'm running past all the cheering crowd of Wellesley, then it dawned on me, oh, this is a female-only college. <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> There's all the signs, kiss me and screaming your name and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. And <laughs> the guy in front of me was running, showing his guns the whole time. So it was kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that was, you know, that was that moment. And then probably the low point for me was actually 13 to 16 because you're you're starting to feel tired. I looked at my time and it was a 123 half and I was hoping to hit my previous attempts solo. I, I was doing 119s. And so then I'm starting to think the hills are coming. I was getting in my head. Yes. Um, it was, if I'm 123, I'm going to lose definitely some minutes. I'm going to be cutting it close for a sub three. So that I had to kind of get my head straight on that and just tell myself I've done the work in the hills, right? And so then then I hit the Newton Hills. And the first one I think is an it's like an overpass, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. that wasn't too bad. And then about mile 17, I got another energy boost because a local friend of mine, he'd connected me through Strava with um, a fellow Bay Area runner, a woman called Amy Crane. And, and by the way, she did 255. And we'd been communicating. She was there with her husband, but we never actually connected. Well, guess what? We'd share our kit so we knew what each other was wearing. So about mile 17, I'm like, 
I know those Vaporfly 3s in that kit. And I'm like, Amy, Tony. So so that was kind of random to just meet this person we'd been text messaging on. When there's thousands of people in a race, that yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So that was a little energy boost. And then, you know, we get through and there's that sign, you've made it to the top of Heartbreak Hill. Mm-hmm. And again, it was kind of funny. Before that, I was yelling at the crowd like, is, is this the last one? Is this the last one? But they, you know, they can't really hear. So, and so there's that. <laughs> that phase and then um once you crest that then it's the downhill 10k so that was great right it's it's it's, you're getting a gravity assist there the only problem i had i think i put it in my post was about 23 24 i started to get some right hammy cramps and i was like no because you don't know if it's gonna go to a full-blown like have to stop it's just that is a scary moment (laughs) yeah exactly so as i said in my post i was like praying to the universe gods and and (laughs) And you run us where the key, we've got so many mental tricks, right? So many <laughs> mental tricks. So the other one I did, which is, which will sound funny to your listeners is, uh, I think this is like a Star Trek or Star Wars. I was like, transfer all power to the right hamstring, right? From, <laughs> from the whole body, right? Like, uh, and then told it to, you know, stop being, stop misbehaving. So luckily that I was able to sort of run that off. So that, so I ran through that and then there was about 5k to go and it had been kind of light raining on and off during most of the race since the start. And then the skies just opened up with like 5k to two miles to go. And it was this crazy torrential downpour. I mean, crazy. Like everyone was cheering and screaming because it was such hard rain. Oh, wow. It was refreshing, but then it, it was actually felt like hail at some point. And then your shoes are like, no matter what fancy shoes you're in, they're waterlogged. And so I looked, it's mm-hmm. funny, my mile times around then definitely slowed. Um, I, I don't think it was because of fatigue in the race at that point. It's just you're carrying pounds of water on your, your gear. So, mm-hmm. And then as you've talked about before, once you get through that, you hit that right on Hereford and then left on Boylston and it was mm-hmm. like the sprint to the finish and you're, you're done. <laughs> And, and the crowds are so crazy in there. It's almost hard not to start sprinting too soon because you just are pumped up so much. <laughs> exactly. And then they throw the Mylar blanket, your metal in the Mylar blanket. And within like two minutes, everyone is shivering and chattering oh. teeth. And then you have like another mile to try to walk out of there and figure out how to get back to your hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So congratulations on your awesome Boston run. What was your official time? Uh, 248.25. Wow. So you yeah. made your A goal. Yeah, super excited with that, with the rain. And yeah, amazing, amazing event. That was fun, man, hearing your overview of the course. And uh, congrats again, Tony, on finishing such a stellar time at the Boston Marathon. And it's it's awesome to have you in our community and looking forward to definitely meeting up at a race in person one of these days. Can't wait. Yeah. And just thanks again, you know, Trevor and Angie, both of you for creating, you know, both MTA and then the the social distancing running group. I mean, I, I think it's got a lot of us through the pandemic and we've forged these these great as advertised, uh, you know, friendships and <laughs> right. there's a lot of meetups happening now as everything's sort of opened up again. And it's, it's just fantastic to what you've done for the running community. Thank you. All right, big thanks to Tony for joining us on the MTA podcast. So fun to talk to him. And as we think about Masters Runners, that is, if you're 40 and up, some things that stuck out that Tony said, he does more cross-training than running now, he says. He's only running three to four days a week, and his mileage is relatively low for someone who's running as fast as he is. And it was interesting, Angie, he didn't even race uh, between 2012 and 2019 because of injury. So he's certainly ridden that uh, injury roller coaster, as he said. Yes, yes, that can be frustrating. 
So just kind of to put a bow on this episode, we want to share a couple more tips for any of you out there listening who are in the master's category, which I think is probably a lot of you out there. So 40 and up, how to get the best out of yourself as a master's runner. That's right. I think one thing that Tony brought out in this episode, which is very important, is that as a master's runner, you shouldn't be afraid to think outside the box with your training plan. Some master's runners find that doing like a 10-day cycle works better for them rather than a seven-day cycle, or even doing long runs every other weekend so that your body has plenty of time to recover in between. Um, Like Tony talked about, he only runs every other day to allow recovery in between and to do some focused cross training. So while there are a lot of great principles out there for endurance runners for mastering the marathon, you have to realize that sometimes the rules change after you turn 40 and you have to really just dial in and figure out what works best for your body. Number two is that recovery is key. And I mean, this applies to any runner, but especially as you get to be a master's runner, you can only improve to the point that you can recover. So you may have aspirations of running high mileage and doing lots of intense workouts every week, but if your body can't recover from them, it's only going to lead to injury, um, to overtraining, and probably to frustration. So this means focusing on quality over quantity miles getting more sleep, dialing in your nutrition better, and often incorporating massage and functional fitness things like stretching, um, recovery tools into your regime more frequently. Also to know injury prevention and recovery are going to be so important because it takes longer to recover as you get older. So you really want to be vigilant about addressing issues early. Number three is it's so important to invest in strength. I've heard it said that your muscle is like your 401k. The time and the effort you put into developing and building your muscle mass is going to pay dividends the rest of your life. There are age declines when it comes to growth hormones, muscle mass, and much more. So to combat this, you must be intentional about building and maintaining muscle mass as you get older. This means lifting heavy weights on a regular basis. And number four, I think it's really important for master's runners to focus on getting more protein. Amino acids, of course, are the building blocks for muscle repair. And as we get older, protein absorption tends to decrease, especially for women athletes. So work to include protein with every meal and snack and be really intentional about it. All right, a couple extra tips for you there. And of course, we have coaches on our team who excel at training master's runners And many of them are also in the master's category themselves. So we can definitely help you implement this stuff in an effective way. You can learn more about how that works over at marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash coaching. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. It's an honor to be on this running journey with you. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.